We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. In the past, I have taught on the principle of time. There are two Greek words for time in Scripture. One is chronos. The other is kairos. Chronos relates to a time like an hour, a day of the week, a week out of the month, month out of a year, or the date of the year. Both are used in the New Testament. Kairos is a unique Greek word because it sculpts a time as a moment of import and a moment of purpose. It's a moment where great consequences evolve out of that moment, that great magnitude can occur in an individual or in a gathering or in a society or culture because of this pivotal moment. I want to preach today about Kairos. I want to preach about a moment of import and purpose and consequence. Some preaching comes directly as an inspiration of God. Other preaching comes out of observation. Observing a life, their ups and downs, their struggles. By relationship of understanding what you face in life. And out of that, God uses that to birth a message in the heart of a preacher. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and is the discerner of not only the thoughts, but the intents of the heart. The word discerner there is from the Greek word kritikos, which means hidden place. I know some of you deeper than you understand I know you. Because I preach to you. And in preaching to you, it exposes hidden things in your life. At times, it's a recounting of a sure word of prophecy from the Lord. At its best, and I love preaching this the most, when it's a score written by God that's played on the harp of a man's soul, And it resonates music in your life. Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Lord. Send me. The initiative of life often starts in the crib. It starts before a child knows that the two people that gather around its life the most are its mother and father. Before the child perceives the relationship that evolves and exists within its family. A child's first attempts to reach for a mobile that hangs over its crib or the hand of its parent. Before it takes its first step, in the passage of Scripture I just read, Isaiah finds his legs. 
he comes to realize that there's more to his life than what he's ever realized and what he's ever grasped. He encounters God for the first time, and it's his salvation. Fellowship with God helps me understand myself. It's a salvation. On a Sunday, October 9, 1970, David Fuller stopped throwing his life away. And somehow I knew that Sunday night was more than just salvation. I understood clearly that God had a deeper, greater purpose and value for my life than, a, than as an engineer. I stopped repudiating what God had authored for my life. In that call, I learned something. I learned that God never calls the qualified. God qualifies those he calls. God will always call you in an unqualified state. You're never ready for what God calls you to. You're not ever a measure to the void and the place that God calls you to fill. But God calls you, and in the process of answering that call, He qualifies you. God becomes before goodness and qualification. You don't get good to get God. You don't get qualified to serve God. You get God, then you become good. You get God, and then you become qualified. For the first time, I realized what was possible for me. My course was redeemed. The waste of my life would come now to an end. It happened to Isaiah. Then said I, here am I, Lord, send me. Every person at some point in their life, must come to terms with who they are and what they're about. We must realize that life is more than just putting up with situations, of just evolving through the passages of life, of just living and experiencing through our infancy and adolescence and teen years and and then our young adulthood and middle age and old age. Life is more than that. We have been given an eternal opportunity to respond to every crisis in life we face in a brand new way. He was produced by eternity, but so are you. There was only one and only one Isaiah, but there's only one of you. He became a vehicle of ministry. He became a vehicle of purpose. Now his life was in commission with God. Your life has far more purpose than whatever career path you're called to. Your life has a deeper and greater meaning
than just your role as husband, wife, mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, or uncle, or cousin. Isaiah was ready to challenge the forces that had held his manhood and destiny down. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah was royalty. He was part of the lineage of Judah. He was in the lineage of the kings. Another thing I've learned is God never considers your past when he calls you to your future. God doesn't care about your past. People may not let you forget your past, but God wants to redeem your past. Not even God can change your past. That's why he came to redeem our past, to establish our present so that we don't prostitute our future. Isaiah never again doubted the divine schedule that positioned him on the earth at the period of time that he appeared, and neither should you. Isaiah had no regrets that he wasn't born a hundred years early or a millennium later. The coward in him was buried. He said, here am I. I'm present. Send me. A Daniel will come later. Paul will appear in due time. But the circumstances of the era in which he lived demanded an Isaiah. And can I tell you that today demands you whatever your name is. That you're on God's stage. You're living for such a time as this. If there had been a purpose for you to live in another generation, God would have birthed you to that generation. Here's the beautiful thing about Christianity is that with Jesus Christ, you can accept yourself in all of your messed up state, in all of your brokenness, in all of your hypocrisy, you can embrace yourself because if God can accept me, who is there wise enough to reject me? If God accepts me, I can accept myself. God never loves me because of what I am. God often has to love me in spite of what I am. You can extend a warm welcome to whoever you are today. You're no longer a misfit. You've never been a misfit. You're not a carbon copy. You're an original masterpiece of purpose. God works best with broken pieces because out of broken pieces, he makes masterpieces. We have destiny and dignity. Not only Isaiah had, but we have it. Life can never be the same for you and I again once we encounter Jesus Christ. Because you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, 
your life can never be menial or inconsequential. You matter. You matter. Whether anybody else coins a phrase to say you matter, God said that millenniums ago. You matter. We're an actor in a drama. And God has written that script. He's chosen you to play one part. He's chosen me to play another part. If he calls me to play a poor man, an invalid, an average Joe or a plain Jane, or he calls me like Moses to play a hero's role, I must play the part that he has called me to play with the best of my ability. My business is to be the character and to fulfill the purpose that I've been given. The choice of how I'm cast was the decision of another. I had no choice in that. In English literature, there are many great giants, but two of the greater was Sir Walter Scott and Lord Byron. Both of them were born with club feet. For Byron, it's something he resented all of his life. He never got over it. It poisoned his soul, and it poisoned his pen. And his writings reflect a man that is bitter. His whole outlook on life was jaded by his infirmity. Paul found his infirmity as a reason to glory. Better for God to manifest his power through my infirmity. Whatever liabilities you have is the very place that God wants to express his glory through your life. Wherever you feel inferior, wherever you feel inadequate, that's the very place that God wants to expose his greatness through you. Scott wore his infirmity as a badge of distinction. In fact, he said, it's part of who I am. I wouldn't be Scott without this identifying remark. So he said, in essence, send me. There's a vast, vast difference in their writings, all because one embraced his life and one resented it. If I can get people under the sound of my voice today to stop resenting your place, your station, where you are in life, and embrace it, your life can become extremely powerful and purposeful in the kingdom of God. Isaiah, for the first time in his life, was no longer afraid to face himself. I see people who fritter and refuse and let their lives just fade and waste away. While they engage in wishful thinking, I wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd have made this choice. I wish I'd have married this person and didn't marry this person. It only leads to embittered thinking. 
Regrets in life are a total waste of time because you cannot erase any choice that you have made in life. There is what is called a circle of regret. What if, if only. What if, if only. What if, if only. So many people live in that spiral for all of their life. It's possible to spin in that circle for decades. As I said, you or I can do nothing about our past. Not even God can change your past. But he can redeem it. And that's what he's come in our lives to do, is to redeem our yesterdays. It's a wonderful time in life to come to the place where you say, I don't want to be anybody else. I'm thoroughly happy with who I am. I'm okay, but you're okay as well. How many of you read that book, I'm okay, you're okay? Yeah. In fact, psychopaths come from the deal, I'm okay, but you're no good either. There's four classes of people. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, but you're not any good. I'm not any good, but you're okay. And then I'm not any good, but you're not either. That's really, that, that classifies every person that lives in this world. The only thing I want you to take out of this message is I want you to walk out of this house loving who you are. Thanking God for who you are. Thanking God for your heritage, your birth, your parentage, no matter how flawed or failed it might be. At this moment, you and God can get together in a brand new way. In inner commission. As a young man, I, I studied a lot of religions. Most people in the world would do well as Buddhists. They really would. Because Buddhism is premier for a person who wants to escape themselves. Somebody who wants to say no to life would thrive in Buddhism because they all seek a negative state. I want to bring to our attention a man named Job. He was a good man, a good man. God said he was perfect and upright in all of his ways. And everything for Job turned out so wrong. Life blew up in Job's face in a day's time. And the big shove from his companion was just curse God and die. And that's an alternative. It's deceptively easy. And many people in our world have taken that choice because we put God out of the country. We put God out of government. We put God out of education. We put God out of everything. But triumph is in another direction. 
I want you to pay attention to this. Job found God, not in his blessing, but he found God through his total loss. He found God in the darkest night of his life. I've never understood, but I do know it's true that many times God has to take a man to the bottom for him to come to himself like the prodigal and find God. He found God like Isaiah, like Job. We find God often in the darkest nights of our lives. What perhaps Job could not discover about God in blessing, he discovered in tragedy. That happens more than we acknowledge. I've said it often, I'll say it again. If I had to go back and live my life over again, you could have all the blessings and all the benefits that have ever inured to my life. But I will keep the tragedies. I will keep the disasters. I will keep the problems because in them is where I've discovered the wealth and the depth and the breadth of God's love, His mercy. Job said this almost at the end of his book. I've heard thee with the hearing of my ear. But now in the aftermath of this tragedy, my eyes seeth thee. Let me warn you as a parent, don't try to save your child from disaster. Don't try to bail them out of their, their problems and, and them constantly self-destructing in their life. That's the only means that God may have to save them and redeem them. You have to let them go to hell. And David said, though I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If God has to take one of my children to hell to save them, the quicker the better. The quicker the better. I know this. God will never shortchange any of you. Heaven doesn't intend to waste our lives. That's proved by a miracle of Jesus. There was this man born blind brought to him. The question was asked, who sinned? Him or his parents? Nobody sinned. He was born blind for one purpose, that the glory of God might be expressed through his healing. I don't want to hide. I don't want to regress. We shouldn't long to trade the complexities of this generation for another one. I told Ivana this past week, I said, I don't know whether God did me a favor by bringing me back from the dead to see and face in what a country that looks nothing like the nation I grew up in. But here I am, 2020. Send me. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. I have value for this culture and this generation. I want to be present. I want to answer present. 
You remember roll call they took in homeroom? Called your name. Present. Present. I was at a board meeting one time, and the superintendent said, all right, we can start. We're all here. I told him, I said, we've never been all here. We're all present, but we're not all here. I want to be present for this generation. It's great to be present. It's great to be a part of something and want to contribute and want to matter and want to make it better. As I've said, there's three goals I have every day I live. I want to touch God. I want to touch somebody. And I want to touch something that will outlive me. Amen. God asked us, what are you going to do with 2020? What are you going to do with this culture? What are you going to do with this calamity that's happening in your nation? It's something that, by and large, we're all unqualified for. We're called to fulfill something that we have to grow so much to fill the need of what our country asks. I come up in a family that has blessed me with so many genes, many of them good, but many of them really bad. With a nature that isn't made for righteousness. In a nature that isn't meant to love the hateful. In a nature that doesn't understand how to embrace the fallen. I have to stand here and say, send me. I know I'm not enough. I know I don't have the answers, but I know you do, God. And if I can connect you to this world, if I can connect you to the world I'm living in, there's so much more of God to know. I'm often embarrassed by people who speak about how much I know about Scripture. Nobody knows the Word of God. No one knows God. He's infinite. His ways are past finding out. If you're intent on intellectually understanding God before you're going to have faith, you're doomed. As I've said often, you have to accept His ways without understanding His motives. And God just doesn't explain Himself very much. There's no limit to His work for us to explore. The Bible says we're just beginning to See his wonderful works to the children of men. I know this. The promises of God are so profound. And the promises of God are so exciting. And the promises of God are so magnificent. 
And the challenge of our nation is so desperate that only the promises of God, only God can solve America's problems. The Democrats don't have an answer. The Republicans don't have an answer. The Independents don't have an answer. Only God has the answer. And we need to connect our generation with God. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. I know who I am. Hmm. I know me better than any of you know me. And I'm well aware of my weaknesses. I'm well aware of my failures. And without a miracle of association left to myself, I cannot measure up to any calling that God has ever called me to. Unless I see the Lord high and lifted up, I'll always feel it insignificant. I will always feel as if I don't matter. But if I can see him high and lifted up, hallelujah, hallelujah, without grace, I'll drown in self-denial and play acting. If I look at all of my weaknesses and inequities, like Byron, I'll drown in bitterness and anger. I'll miss it all. What every Christian needs in this world today is a live coal from the altar of God to come and touch our lips. Hallelujah. To redeem us, to ignite us, to reignite us. Have you been kissed by a coal lately? If you haven't, it is time to find an altar and be kissed by the coal again and let God rekindle that fire. Hallelujah. It binds us together. Isaiah had a cause. His idol, Uzziah, had died. Uzziah was one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. Loved God, acknowledged God, worshiped God, promoted the preeminence of God. But he made one mistake. He went into the temple and he offered a sacrifice and God smote him with leprosy. And his son Jotham never entered the temple again the rest of the days of his life because it brewed acid in his soul. If you want to know more about that, find a sermon I preached on wounds that never heal. Isaiah had a cause because the light and the promise of Israel he thought had been extinguished. Isaiah, like Byron, could have brewed acid in his soul but he chose the path of Scott. And that's for us here today. Will we choose the path of Isaiah, of Job, of Scott, or will we choose the path of Byron? Fortunately, the Bible said he also saw the Lord. That's the answer. America needs to see God again. America needs to embrace God again. We can resign. I'm telling you, there's enough grief and panic and hate and bitterness 
and division and injustice and in pain and prejudice to cause anybody that if they look to human for help to resign. I can understand people that don't know God, how they can turn cities upside down. I can understand the anger. But seeing God saved Isaiah, and the only thing that will save our culture is not law. If you took all the laws that are written by the federal government and state governments, there's not a library that could hold them. Law is not the answer. God is the answer. Grace is the answer. Mercy is the answer. Hallelujah. Seeing God saved Isaiah. Seeing God is the only thing that will save America, that will only save our families. This nation would have lost a voice of hope. Isaiah 53 would have never been written if Isaiah hadn't responded to the desperate situation he found himself. There's no scale or yardstick that could measure the loss if just those in this small church resign our leadership to this generation. There would be no way to point the way amid gloom and stagnation There's people in your life that I will never meet. There's people you cross paths with that I'll never be introduced to. And God has put you in their life to point the way to them. You have that responsibility. The mystery of seeing God Boy, this scripture exploded in my heart almost 50 years ago. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. That word change is metamorphosis. It's what happens to a worm that becomes a butterfly are changed into that same image, icon, exact replica, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit, the breath, the pneuma of the Lord. That's the ministry of worship. We are to worship to be changed. We're to be worshiped to be changed into that same image from glory to glory. If this nation is not introduced to worship, how will they ever be changed into his image? A doctrine won't do it. A baptism won't do it. It has to be out of a worshiping heart. So I ask you this question. Have you really worshipped God if you haven't been changed? Has there been worship if you haven't been changed by being in His presence? Listen, this isn't a masquerade ball. It's past time 
for us all to hide behind masks of propriety and dignity. It's time we put away our spiritual masks. I'm embarrassed at myself. I'm embarrassed at who I am today. But by the transforming presence that I feel in this place this morning, I can be transformed more into his image. You and I were not meant to be worms. We were meant to metamorphosize into glory and a destiny that has wings and flight and beauty. Hallelujah. There's an old saying from decades ago that the only God your neighbor may ever meet is you. The only Jesus they'll ever see is in your life and in my life. Let's go out this week and let's present Jesus to our culture. Let's present Jesus to everybody we meet. Let's look at them like Jesus would look at them. And remember from the cross, he looked at the very ones who crucified him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a difference seeing him can make. What a difference being touched by a coal of anointing to see him high and lifted up. I want to say these words with a conviction that I've never said before. Here am I, God. Send me. Jesus is asking every one of us today, who will go for us? Who will stand for me in your neighborhood? Who will stand for me in your family? Who will stand me, stand for me in the grocery store you shop, in the department store you visit, in the restaurant you frequent? Who, who will represent me? Who will go for us? Who will go for me? Can you stand up today and raise your hand and say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Here am I, send me. That's the question. Here am I, send me. Can you respond today? Here am I, send me. I want to be a part of this. I want to matter. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. Hallelujah. I want to stand for you. Praise God. Praise God. Here am I, God. Send me. I renounce my ugliness. I renounce my impatience. I renounce how, how I have acted and, and misrepresented you in the past. God, I want to represent you. Here am I. Here am I. I know you can't do anything about my past, but you can redeem my present and redeem my future, God. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Praise God. Here am I. Send me. Send me. I'll go for you, God. I'll stand in your place. I'll stand in whatever community, in whatever position, in whatever crowd that you place me in. I'll stand for you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I purpose in my heart. I purpose in my heart. Praise God. I'm going to stop living for David Fuller. I'm going to stop minding the things of David Fuller. 
God, I want to see the world through your eyes. I want to see my world through what the world looked like to you from the cross. From that vantage point, God. Not from my perspective, but from your perspective. I want to see every human I meet through your eyes. Through your eyes of grace. Through your eyes of redemption. I don't want to see what they are. I want to see what they can be when they're introduced to you. When they stand in your presence and worship you. When they are changed into your image from glory to glory. From glory to glory. Until they, along with we, stand in the fullness of the stature of the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. That's our yardstick, God. That's our yardstick, God. We're all standing on our tiptoes. We got to get there, God. We got to be the church. We got to be the church. We've got to say emphatically, here am I. Here am I. Send me. God, we consecrate ourselves. Every person in this building is standing. God, as a commitment to go into our world and to represent you in every situation of life. God, I know the old me is going to want to resurface again. I know the old me that can be short and curt. I know it's going to want to resurface, God. But I, I, I want you. I want you to touch me with that coal of fire. I want a transformation in my life. Isaiah never had the Holy Ghost. He wrote about it, but he never had it. I have the Holy Ghost, God. I, I, I want. I want that touch. I want that coal to touch my life. I want to be emphatically changed. I want to be so changed that my wife recognizes it. That my children see the difference. Send me, God. Send me. Send me. Praise God. Praise God. We're a new church today. We're a new church today. We're a different body than we've ever been. Hallelujah. We're a different body than we've ever been because we're going to represent Jesus Christ. We're going to represent Him. We're going to respond the way He would respond. Praise God. And when we fail, we're going to repent. Amen. Amen. We're going to be Him into our world. God bless you today. Thank you for your, your attention today. You have made preaching to you so easy. Thank you. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Go with God. Amen. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.